Welcome to the Daughters Project Podcast. We're so glad you're here. Join us this season as the sisters, along with Father Harrison Eyre, explore what it means to live with a sacramental worldview. You can find out more about our work at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome to the Daughters Project podcast. I am Sister Teresa Alethea, and I am here with Sister Nancy Osselman and Father Harrison Ayer, the first daughter father. <laughs> the first male voice on our podcast. And it's pre- which is pretty funny because our whole last season was about women in the church. So all of our guests were female. It was just very women heavy and totally focused on what it means to be a woman. And so this is our next season that and we're going to have Father Harrison on for the entire season. So we're I'm really so sorry, about everyone that. who's listening. <laughs> <laughs> Some of you know me. I was one of the hosts for the first season, Sister Teresa Alethea, and we have a new daughter of St. Paul for this season, Sister Nancy Usselman. And Sister Nancy, do you want to just introduce yourself and tell them a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, I'm the director of the Pauline Center for Media Studies in Los Angeles, and I do a lot on faith and film and television, pop music. Um, I've written a book on the theology of popular culture. And so I, I'm very into the culture. I, I do movie reviews and television reviews, a web series uh, on should Christians watch certain TV shows. And we have a lot of fun talking about this and really in bringing people into an understanding of their faith within the popular culture. So that's kind of what I do a lot in our ministry as Daughters of St. Paul. It's an area of media literacy education. Uh, where we integrate faith formation and an understanding in examination of the popular culture from a faith perspective, where we ask questions of the media, not just absorb it, but really engage with it critically. And Sister Nancy has written a lot about the sacramental worldview, so that's why we invited her on the show, because this season is going to be focusing on the Sacramental Worldview, and we're going to be using a book that Father Harrison is writing for our sisters called Mysterion, The Revelatory Power of the Sacramental Worldview, as kind of the skeleton structure of how we're going to talk about things. But we want to invite you into just interesting discussion about the topics around the book. So it's not like a book study or um, anything like that is more like we're like having a beer in the bar and we're inviting you to sit down and, and just listen to us talk and um, participate with us in these really fascinating discussions. So before we jump into the meat of, of the show, um, Father Harrison and Sister Nancy have some stories about um, we call this section overheard in the convent, but now it's overheard in the convent and um, stories from the sacristy. So Father yeah. Harrison. <laughs> so yeah, I was just going to share that we, you know, we've been in lockdown for quite a while here. We're in five months now of our churches being closed, which is, you know, it's wow. tough and it's been not easy. But, you know, so and I had when this... you say here, could you tell them Sorry. what yeah. that is? So I'm, a, I'm a priest in the Diocese of Victoria, uh, BC. So on the West Coast of Canada, I've been a priest here for six years. I'm in a parish. Uh, called St. Peter's Parish in Nanaimo. So I've been past, I got moved here last summer. So I've been here since uh, August. So yeah, I've been a past, being moved during a pandemic is also a unique experience. Oh, I can imagine. But yeah, so I had the brilliant, insane idea to do outdoor drive-in masses for Easter yeah. Sunday. Okay. Wow. Because 
uh, I we were there was talk about maybe they would open us up for indoor masses just for Easter, but I thought we can fit more people with cars, so we That's did right. This. And so we we had everything planned, and I was like so proud of like my pastoral council, everyone coming together. We got everything rented that we needed. We bought an FM transmitter so people could listen in their cars and everything. And then I planned for rain with a tarp and everything. I did not plan for the wind. Oh no! <laughs> it was a gorgeous morning that day. I got to the church at eight, but my gosh, the wind. So there was one point, so I would go to everyone's car at communion time, and there was one point, I was working really hard to keep the Eucharist protected, but there was one point where one host got blown out of the, I chased, I thankfully I chased the Eucharist down, and I was oh, able to consume no. the Eucharist. And there's like a collective gasp from all the cars, I'm sure. I, well, it was like... actually at the back, so I don't think anybody saw it, which okay. was actually good. But I was like, I'm like I, had a, I had a heart attack. Wow, this almost yeah. sounds like a cartoon image, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus and, is flying. Oh, yeah. Someone, I posted a picture actually on Twitter. Like, everything was flowing the entire time. My vestments oh. were flowing. Everything <laughs> was flowing. And it was just chaos. It was chaos. And, and, you know, the wind's blowing into the microphone. So people are having a hard time hearing me and all that fun stuff, you know? And it was stressful. Like, I've never been so tired after. We only had two, We only had to end up having two. But I was never so tired after two masses before. So then, but this is the worst part of it all. After the first mass, which did, would not feel very prayerful. I want to just get this done. I go into the church for five minutes. Okay, Lord, I just need five minutes to recollect myself and to make the next Mass more prayerful. Literally, as I sit down, I hear a loud crash outside. And the table we had, we put this nice little um, covering on the front of it. It was just a plastic table, but we put a nice covering on it. We had enough weight. I thought we had enough weight on it. We didn't. And the wind gusted through. And because of the carving on the front of the table, it was like a sail. And just oh, no. everything flew off the platform. Everything oh, flew off. No. Thankfully, my chalice and Patton weren't on there. Oh, and so I'm very God. grateful for that. But it was like, and it broke the lamps that we had oh, and everything. No. And it was just like a comedy of errors. And it was it was kind of funny because I said to everybody who was helping, I'm like, you know, pay attention. Maybe we should do this every week. And everyone <laughs> after was like, no, Father. No, no. no, no. Not in a million years. We are not doing that again. That sounds like our exhibits when we bring our books to parishes and it's windy outside. We're like chasing books all over the yard. And your veils are just like yeah. super nice, yes. right? Yeah. They yeah. love calling us the flying nuns at that point. You know, it's like yeah. a big joke, you know? Yeah. But the, the nice, nuns. yeah. But the nice thing about all that, though, though, at the same time, people were so appreciative. They could yeah, see I'm I was sure. stressed out. And in my homily, it was a miracle. It was very short because I just couldn't concentrate. You're like, let's get going. Let's just get this done. Uh, but everyone was so appreciative. And I got so many positive emails saying that was one of the most special masses ever. I'm like, really? It felt like one of the worst ones to me. But it was. But I think it was. Know? Well, so many had not been yeah. to mass for so long. To be there in person, even through their cars, yeah. was just a huge thing for people. So it was worth it. That's but awesome. my gosh. It was stressful. Speaking of cars, <laughs> I think Sister Nancy has another story. Oh, well, I, I have several stories, but okay. I'll tell this one. Uh, you know, I love I love taking road trips and being doing what I'm doing. I, I travel a lot, so I've been taking road trips all over the West Coast and, and even into the Midwest sometimes. But uh, I love going all up and down the West Coast, especially California, since I live in L.A. Those it works that way. And they're gorgeous. And I was giving a talk in Reno. So I gave a whole parish mission. And then I gave a presentation to catechists all on, on media literacy and faith formation. And I took this trip back. It's about an eight-hour trip. I was by myself from Reno to L.A. And I took the whole way along the eastern Sierra Nevada corridor. 
So literally, you're driving along the mountain range. And sometimes, you know, you get sleepy on a, a road trip, especially by yourself for eight, nine hours. I could not keep my eyes like from bugging out at every moment because around every bend of the highway was a new astonishing view of the mountains and the gorgeous landscape. It's such a gorgeous moment. And every time I encounter something like that, I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this. When you, especially when you're feeling down or depressed or something, and you go out into nature and it just uplifts your spirit mm -hmm. because it like brings you to a realization that there's something more beyond us yeah. and our own little worlds and our own little problems. And it brings you to recognition of God, the majesty and glory of God. And that kind of changes your whole perspective on life, right? It kind of changes our whole view. And when I took that trip, I just like, I couldn't, I was praying the whole time, literally for eight hours straight because the whole view was leading me to prayer. Yeah. And the whole experience beautiful. was leading me to prayer. So I think that nature does that for me. And yeah. I'm sure other people have that experience too. I feel like that's a pretty perfect opening story for what we're going to talk about, because really what you're talking about is the, the, the power of nature, which is in the material world to lead us to spiritual experiences and spiritual realizations and intuitions. And that's what we're, that's what the sacramental worldview really is. And so we're going to just talk about in this next section, you know, why the sacramental worldview is important to each of us. And I thought we could start with Father Harrison because you wrote a book about it. And often when people write their first book, they're writing about something that is really not only deeply intellectually important to them, but deeply and personally important to them. And so I'm wondering if you could just share with us, you know, why did you choose that topic to write about? Why did you think it was important, not only from a pastoral view, but like from a personal view? There are many reasons. One of the main reasons was first, I mean, because I am a theologian by nature. <laughs> um, this was something that really kind of hit me hard my first year of seminary. I read a few books that really kind of set the path, if you will for me to understand why this is so important. And it really became the lens because we know there's like, for example, there's a lot of polemics around stuff like Vatican II and stuff like that. But understanding the theology of the 20th century and the sacramental worldview as kind of the underpinning mm -hmm. of Vatican mm -hmm. II and its teachings exactly. on the church and the world, it helped me understand and appreciate the the documents and to see what the church was actually trying to do. That she was trying to help us, re like that we actually kind of lost this essential vision of what it means to be a Christian. A lot of this came out of stuff like, you know, these great theologians studying, re rediscovering the church fathers and mm -hmm. reading in them all these great teachings around that what it means to like participate in the life of Christ. And so that was, that was definitely a big, that was always, that's always been at the back of my mind. And then once you get ordained and you get into parish ministry, you start to discover that there is like a barrier to this, actually. And even a lot of Catholics. Yes. That, that maybe we have a strong sacramental devotion, but we actually approach sacraments in a way that it, it actually opposes the way the church sees them. Mm -hmm. And I, by this, I mean not, not just maybe seeing it like the Eucharist just as a symbol, for example, but even kind of taking a kind of physicalist approach to the mm -hmm. Eucharist as well. And by this, I mean like, we, we, we believe the Eucharist is the real sacramental presence of Jesus, right? It, it's, it's, it's not, he's not locally, it's not like mm -hmm. his whole body locally there, right? It, it's something different than mm -hmm. that. But we have this tendency that I follow this like overly symbolic or overly physicalist way. And so mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, we got to rediscover this as well. And then you just see it that 
the, the church has a hard time evangelizing them too because mm-hmm. her whole system is based around sacramentality. Mm-hmm. But the world has embraced an ideology that's anti-sacramental. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Right? So pastorally, mm-hmm. that's there. And then personally, it, it, it's, it's what forms my entire vision of the Christian life. It's, it's how I experience it for me. I'm very, uh, I, I had a friend once say to me, you're a theologian of the incarnation. You love the incarnation. Yes. You love the enfleshment of the word. I'm like, yes, that's mm-hmm. me to a T. That God's created order, that everything that God has created, Sister Nancy was like beautifully sharing her experience of the mountains. It is, this is, these are all signposts towards pointing us to God and that God loves us so much that he actually uses things like our senses to reveal himself to us. Well, that's always been a part. That's why I love beautiful liturgy and beautiful music and all that stuff, because this is how God communicates to us. And that, mm-hmm. for me, in my life of prayer, um, has always that's always been close to me. And it's also helped me enjoy the goodness of the world, too, where even something simple like having a nice night out with friends, when, which we hope will happen again one day soon, uh, where you go out for a beer at a pub, and having an immense, beautiful conversation and experience of communion, well, that that's part of the incarnation. Yeah, absolutely. This work of grace. Yeah. Yes. I love the part in your book where you talk about how the human person is sacramental. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. Like, like we're body and soul, that the body reveals the person. Exactly. <laughs> well, can anybody di- di- perceive directly a person? No. The body reveals the person, right? This is the whole point of it. And so all of that, like personally, sacramentally, pastor or sorry, personally, theologically and 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 pastorally, it's always it's been a part of my life. It's kind of like been and so when we were talking, when Sister Teresa was like, Hey, we should you should write a book, and we were kind of going back and forth on stuff, this is like this was the opportunity, I thought. And and just as a little side note, what was really cool in, in writing all of this was how often Sister Teresa would say to me, This is so Pauline. <laughs> yeah, but I was yes. like, "That's really cool." So mm-hmm. from the very beginning, when you sent the proposal to me, I just was really struck by that. It's very you talk a lot about participation in Christ, and that's a huge part of our spirituality. So, and that's beautiful because that's the Christian spirituality. Right. Like that's right. That's that is Saint Paul. I mean, right. I, I think I bring it at the beginning of the book. In Christ is one of his favorite phases. Right. Yeah. He marries, St. Paul marries really well the material with the spiritual. Yeah. And that's what the sacramental worldview really is about. Mm-hmm. It's bringing it together. It's one and the same. It's not separate. But our culture, we live in this very materialistic perspective. And that's all we notice and see and pay attention to. But in actual fact, we have the spiritual is deeply present at every moment. And and like you said, in the incarnational worldview, that's exactly what I wrote about too. <laughs> you have to see that Christ became one with us, right? It, it's it just makes more sense. It makes more um, makes us want to desire that relationship with God more because Jesus was physically one with us. Uh, so it's marrying the spiritual and the material. That's what I love about the sacramental worldview for me. <laughs> yeah. So when did it become important to you, Sister Nancy? Was there a moment or a time when you're just like, this is really a theme of my life? Because you chose to write about it so much. Well, I love movies, music, and books. Uh, I'm big in popular culture. That's what I do now. But I also, I've always loved it since I was a kid. So, um, and I think the the stories of the culture, the movies, you know, television, pop music, um, even video games, Social media, everything's going to show us 
a little bit more of who we are as human beings now in this world. And that's what the stories are about. They're how do we grapple with our own humanness, really? And and because I love movies so much, I, I kept reflecting on them in a deeper way and bringing the whole theological, me too, as a theologian, bringing a theological perspective to it. And what I started realizing, especially when I was studying, I was saying, you know, it's the symbols and signs that are present in the, in the stories. So I don't know if you pay attention to movies, if you notice little symbols, little signs and what they mean. It's the same as in our, the seven sacraments. It's the concrete that have deeper meaning. They mean something more than what we actually see. So like in the movie Fences with Denzel Washington, you know, the fence is a symbol of not only of him protecting his family, what is, which a fence does on people's property, keeps the, you know, intruders out. But in actual fact, it was a way of also trying to control the others in his family while he could step outside the fence and be, in, you know, unfaithful to his wife. It was just very interesting reflection on the symbolism of what, what, how we put up internal fences and, and spiritual fences in our own life, you know, um, something like that, or even the movie Minari, what a beautiful film that's, uh, you know, up in the awards constant, getting many awards that this season and how that symbol of the, the plant from Korea becomes a symbol of new life, becomes a symbol of new grace and of, of new opportunity for this family who seems to have lost everything, but they begin again. And it's just, it's wonderful when you bring that, that worldview, that perspective of the sacramental, even into the stories of the culture, you get much more meaning and understanding of them. Yeah. And it helps you understand what perhaps the filmmaker's perspective is. Mm -hmm. And it's, it just, it just gives a depth and a richness to the story. Yeah. Um, so that's how I, I, because I'm a movie buff and I, I write on movies and a film reviewer. I think I notice that so much more now. Yeah, it's really interesting to me what you're pointing out is that the material already, even if you're just a materialist, you recognize symbolic reality mm -hmm. underneath the material, even even if you don't recognize um, spiritual reality. True. And so that's interesting. It's an interesting kind of avenue for evangelization right. to point out those symbolic realities behind it because it's kind of a doorway into spiritual realities behind Absolutely. the material. Yeah, Absolutely. Funny. Yes, it's leading us. And if you re look deep enough, you will, it will lead you to the spiritual because we can't separate, like Father was saying, we're body and soul. You can't separate us. You can't separate. We're not just material beings or just spiritual beings. We're material and spiritual. We're body and soul. Yeah. So it's always going to have a, a spiritual element to it. Yeah. It's whether we can notice it or not. And that actually leads really well into why the sacramental worldview is important to me because for me, um, I was an atheist for many years and I was a materialist. But I, I struggled with the idea of the soul because I was an animal rights activist. And um, whenever my other animal rights friends would talk to me about what is called speciesism, like to think that the human species is more important than other species are more valuable or more intelligent, um, just the idea that that's just based on our personal prejudices. It's not really based on any kind of reality. And as I struggled with that intellectually, I, I came to the belief that the, that the soul did exist and that the human soul was different 
um, distinctively different from other animal souls. But I was still an atheist. And I really couldn't come to the idea that God existed. And I, I think intellectually, I just had so many obstacles emotionally, really, to that idea that I couldn't come to it intellectually. But I could come to the idea that the soul existed. And so it was actually in a similar experience to what you were describing on your road trip when I believed that God existed. It was it was as if God was making a metaphysical argument to me with the beauty of where I was. I was in Costa Rica at the time, and I looked around me, and it was almost like he was just saying to me, I exist. All this beauty around me has a beauty that is the cause of it. And all of this beauty and these material objects around you are contingent on me. Mm-hmm. And so it was almost like that experience of conversion gave me the glasses to see everything mm-hmm. properly. Mm-hmm. Um, I never really described it that way until I read Father Harrison's book. And and I realized that's what people are missing because I used to always say, I received some kind of grace in that moment, not only to believe in God, but I. it was like all of the foundation was laid to believe mm-hmm. in the church and to believe mm-hmm. in church teaching and to believe mm-hmm. in um, the spiritual present in the church because I think that's something that's very difficult for people today. Um, mm-hmm. But now that I think about it, I think it was because I got those glasses. I got like the sacramental worldview glasses and I just saw everything through that lens. Um, But a lot of people don't explicitly talk about this lens um, through which we're called to see the world. And we're given different glasses by the world uh, that are influenced by different modern philosophies and and ideas of thinking of the material world Mm -hmm. that can really influence how we think about the church, how Mm -hmm. we think about other things. Since we shared a little bit about why this has been important to us and how this has influenced us, um, I just thought maybe we could talk a little bit about, you know, there might be some people listening who are thinking, so what exactly is a sacramental worldview? I'm confused. Um, Father Harrison, do you think you could just like define it simply for people and explain, you know, maybe why it's it is a simple concept but i think it is very difficult for people to understand cuz cuz we don't we don't learn about this really mm-hmm. i would say it's twofold right and to put it kind of in a pithy short definition it's it's that the material makes present and manifests the spiritual and that we can participate in the spiritual in and through the material mm-hmm. if if i were to I'm like, oh, actually, maybe I should put that in the book before it goes to print. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think that's, that's, that's actually at the core of that. Really, that that's perfect. what it is. That's what it is. It's that the, mater- the material is not all there is, mm-hmm. right? I'll give you actually a great example of that, too. Is something Actually, something I read in, in, in Ratzinger a while ago. It talks about a meal. Well, when you sit down for a meal with a family, it's Sunday night. Let's say you have your Sunday night family dinner. Is it just the consumption of carbs and nutrients? No, there's taste. There's smell. There's the discussion around it. A meal, like a Sunday night meal, reveals something more than just the material stuff that you're receiving. Mm-hmm. It it communicates something more. Or you know, you go home after a couple of years, and it's Sunday night, and, and you know, mom makes her famous chicken roast mm-hmm. dinner, and you smell it, and all mm-hmm. those memories and meanings and experiences come back to you, right? That's sacramentality at its mm-hmm. core as, as, in an experiential way, right? It's something material is manifesting and making present something spiritual and being able to participate in that spirituality through the material. Mm-hmm. So it allows the material and the spiritual to come together, to not be opposed or in competition with each other, mm-hmm. which is how we often see them. And so when you see them that way, we, we, we tend to try to pit one over the other 
Mm -hmm. and, and today it would be materialism, as Sister Teresa right. was talking about, right? This materialism where it wants to snuff out or to become so thick that you can't see the spiritual. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This is why I love foodie films. Because <laughs> yeah. I yeah. love when they talk about food, it it's so clearly symbolic and has so much of the sacramental, not only just to refers to the Eucharist as a meal gathering, but also that sense of connection and communion with each other. Mm -hmm. uh, we're living in such an individualistic culture that we kind of tend to just worry about ourselves and it's only about us. And, um, you know, even as Sister Teresa, as you were saying about, you know, those who, who struggle with atheism, her, her saying there is no God, it, it, it's very individualistic. It's like you have no sense that there is anybody else to worry about or be concerned about. Not that I'm saying you don't, but I'm saying mm -hmm. that's, that can lead you in, into that mentality. And foodie films, that's why, um, are awesome in the sense that they always bring that sense of communion um, and connection and making people realize we need each other and it's yeah. important. Um, and that's kind of why I do Cinema Divina experiences with food films uh, yeah. because it gets people to reflect a little bit more on the sacramentality of everyday life. Like um, what is what are some of your favorite food films? Oh, my favorite foodie films. The Feast. My Feast is one of the most gorgeous uh, films. If anybody's seen, it's a classic of food films. But um, also Chef um, with Jean Favreau, he was fabulous in that. I think it it becomes a connection with his little son who's ten years old, you know, and it becomes the catalyst. The food becomes the catalyst for their a deeper relationship. Um, and you see that in The Big Night, fabulous film. The Lunchbox, a great Indian film. Um, also, uh, Le Chef, a French film. So yeah, I, I watch a lot of inde uh, independent and foreign films. So Those are often <laughs> yeah. really good. <laughs> but um, I think they just speak so much to that depth uh, of life and, yeah, and sacraments. I was, I'm going to bring in another movie. Um, mm. I don't, have you ever seen um, The Seventh Mansion? On Edith Stein's life. Oh yes. Oh yes. Yeah. That's right. The seventh that's, chamber. Seventh chamber. That's it. That's Thank it. you. Thank you. That's that. I was like the seventh something, right? It, it's a yes. book. It's a movie that looks right. at Edith Stein's life through the lens of Saint Teresa of Avila's seventh chamber, seven castle, seven mansions mm -hmm. of the castle, etc. But it's such a beautiful movie because, like, each step along the way is something that's happening in the story of her life, but it's also revealing the work of God in her and and through her to the world. And it actually culminates in a moment really of ecstasy and contemplation. Yes. Like I actually had to pray after watching the end of the movie right. because it's actually the moment of her death. Exactly. Right? But the film does this beautiful way of, of weaving in that this is just the story of someone's life who heroically died at, at, under the persecution of the Nazis. But rather that, that God was at work here in a unique and special way. And this is the way that it, and it's such a, beautiful film it's a hungarian film yes dubbed in italian with english yeah. subtitles so <laughs> we carried that for a while i remember yeah, us having it that. Great. yeah it's a great yeah, film it so great. that you know but that's another way it's like yeah it's another example of, of great films that can really kind of yeah. manifest this sacramentality the death her death was the sacramental moment exactly it was exactly. so beautiful yeah. and yet tragic i mean it's exactly. tragic in the sense she died in, in death chambers you know mm -hmm. in nazi germany but at the moment it was so profound Mm -hmm. and change and life-changing for anyone yeah. who witnessed her exactly exactly so why do you think it's so difficult you know and in, in today's world for us to think about the world this way or do you think people 
intuitively do in some ways and just have difficulty in other ways, maybe particularly religious ways. Um, because it seems like the sacramental worldview is the like, the human worldview, like the way a human thinks about things. But we seem to have difficulty to use it to think about certain kinds of things. Do you guys have any ideas about that? I mean, I think like going back to what you were saying, Sister Teresa, about, you know, the the philosophical worldview that people have and the materialist, you know, worldview. I mean, a secular humanism has in has infiltrated really our thoughts and it's infiltrated all different areas of culture um, and and movies and television. It's there. Um, and, and I think that can be a hindrance to us seeing the depth to life and the sacramental in the life, in life. But I kind of also want to say that I think it's in our nature to want to know that there's something more, that there mm -hmm. is this desire for what is beyond what we can actually see and touch and hear and taste. There is this desire in the human soul, in the human person, to want what is beyond this world. And that's because we're made in God's image and likeness. We're made material and spiritual. We, we have the soul that's always yearning to be with God. So I think it's in our human nature to want something beyond, to want the supernatural, the spiritual. Um, I think a lot of people just don't stop long enough to think about it. We, it's, mm -hmm. it's a problem of our culture is we lack reflection. Mm -hmm. We, as in general, not telling individual people, but as, as a general, as a culture, we lack the ability to reflect mm -hmm. because it's just moving so fast at a pace. And maybe, maybe COVID in this whole pandemic maybe has given some people that opportunity to really step back, reflect, and think about what am I doing in life? What's my purpose? Why am I here? Mm -hmm. um, and what does this all mean? And can lead them to a, a more of a sacramental view without them even realizing it. But yeah, I think in general, we don't stop long enough to reflect. Yeah, I, I think um, I wrote the forward for Father Harrison's book. And that's one thing that I said is, it wasn't just the experience of being in Costa Rica and seeing the beauty around me. It was the fact that at the time I was working on a farm and just going to the farm and working with my hands every single day. And it put me in a contemplative mindset that allowed me to see these metaphysical realities. Uh, and I think a lot of modern ex living just doesn't allow for that. It just doesn't put us in that mindset where we can see deeper or think about deeper realities or even have the time to think about them. Um, so I totally agree with that. Yeah, It's, it's fascinating because even during this pandemic time, I think like the number, the sales of RVs has like gone through the roof. Yeah, I mean, People are just like getting out of town. I'm out <laughs> of these urban cities and I'm going to nature. And people are just yeah. all, they're just leaving the cities and droves and going in their RVs and just connecting. Because they, yeah. it's like something is missing. We're starved for that. We're starving for it. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. Yeah. The, the, the word that just kept on popping up in my mind was silence. <laughs> Mm, silence yeah. and it's something i i definitely need to work on myself sometimes but it's mm -hmm. i always find that when i have more silence in my life i am able to be more connected to allowing myself to be confronted by those deeper questions like like i was actually off just this last week for a few days after easter um just taking a little post-easter rest and um 
and it was a very quiet week. And the Lord was able to like really say like Harrison, like you need to you need to restrengthen your prayer life. But I would not have heard that if I mm-hmm. filled the week with activity. I didn't do a whole lot on purpose. I mean, not that I can do a whole lot right now where I am anyways, but I mean, I didn't do a whole lot on purpose. And it was in that time, like silence was able to let me hear. But then you hear that. I think sometimes we don't want to be silent because we're afraid that the voice we're going to hear is going to be one of like a negative judgment. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be an accusation. Mm-hmm. And it's really not. It, it's, it is a judgment saying like, this is not okay. But it's not a judgment unto condemnation. It's a judgment unto redemption. And to mm-hmm. say, like, I want, no, I want what's best for you. I need mm-hmm. to call this out so that I can draw you closer to myself again. And that silence is so important. So I think a lack of silence is definitely a, a big one there too. And and I think we're going to definitely talk about this when we talk about modernism, which is mm-hmm. one of my, yes. that was my favorite chapter. Yay, book, right? I loved that. I loved yeah. that chapter. That was, yeah. I love talking about it yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, because I think that that's really at play here that we are, because of, of, what we consume every day, we're mm-hmm. taught uh, like, un- like unconsciously that the material does not communicate the spiritual. Mm-hmm. And it just it, it bombards us to a point where we don't realize that we've actually fallen victim to it ourselves. That's definitely mm-hmm. a big play there too. So I think that's a big reason why. Also, we actually just didn't do a great job at communicating this as a church either Mm-mm. liturgical catechesis is is definitely needed. exactly <laughs> for me like one of the most beautiful things i've ever encountered is catechesis of the good shepherd mm-hmm. it is so yes. beautiful because it's experiential it's, for children it's, yeah. yeah for children right for those who don't know it's like it's more of an experiential catechesis where kids have the opportunity to play around with things to play with mm-hmm. liturgical objects that are created for and in a special space i remember i met one family they were uh, byzantine catholic and the third graders were able to recite all the doctrinal definitions of the first seven ecumenical councils, the core ones. And I'm like, what? Why? Because of Catechesis of the Good Shepherd. They were able to teach yeah. the children this. And then the kids retain this. And they see that, that like part of this too is that we, 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 and this is something I really try to emphasize, I think, in my introduction, that doctrine and spirituality are meant to go hand in hand, mm-hmm. right? You, you can't, perhaps sometimes we emphasize truth in a kind of enlightenment fashion. Mm-hmm. which it has no real effect on things. Right. But for the Christian, no, like every doctrine, like I always love the stories about the early church where bakers would refuse to sell bread to people if they were pro or anti-Nicaea yeah. type of thing. <laughs> Why? Because who Jesus is affects who we are. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And that that's, we, we kind of lost that for a while. And I think the church is slowly rediscovering that, but that needs to be part of how we catechize. And then we mm-hmm. see that what we teach has to be incorporated into lived experience and that lived experience is a place of reflection all this stuff so i think there's Mm -hmm. a there's like um it's multi-layered yeah why this has been so hard for us to appreciate Mm -hmm. but i'm also hopeful that if we can start to disseminate this more and more people are going to see the richness of it all you know i still remember one night when i was i was on this retreat at seminary and I remember I was like struggling with the rosary for a while and I was just staring at an icon. And then because of that time, it was an experience of participating in Mary. She draw, she is the mother of the church. And so she draws us into her experience of Christ. Oh, well, that's sacramentality. That's participation and the experience of being Catholic. And, mm-hmm. and I really hope and pray that that's something we can help people explore and open their eyes to more and more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there is something in the culture that values experience and the truth that is found in experience. Mm-hmm. So I think there is some there is something in this worldview that it's like 
it is what is needed for this time for mm-hmm. evangelization in this time. Well, I was just thinking because you know probably why I always jump to movies and television is because that's what I do, but <laughs> also because that's where our entertainment world, where people live many people times, are, and yeah. and so when you're saying on, on how to make it into our everyday experiences. We can't live our faith life here and then on the other side, we have our entertainment experience. Mm-hmm. It's like we need to bring it all together. And mm-hmm. entertainment speaks a lot about what we're struggling with with life, you know, mm-hmm. and, and so it's making it real. Um, and that's why I always talk about movies. And we talked about silence, Father, I got to tell you, the sound of metal has the most sacramental moment in regards to silence. It shows silence. That. That's I've never, I've never heard sacram- of this movie. It's Oscar... Okay. Big, yeah, you know, it's got lots okay. of nominees and all the awards, you know, and okay, many wins as well, called The Sound of Metal. Okay. And um, it's about a guy, a heavy metal drummer, basically, who goes deaf. Hmm. And he has to learn how to live with the silence. Hmm. The first thing is that they just want to run away with it and get it fixed. You want to get it medically fixed, right? We want to yeah. fix everything in our cultures, right? Yeah. But he has to learn how to live with the sacramental moment of silence. Hmm. Beautiful. It's very profound. You know, another movie that was hitting my head. This is one of my favorite ones, and I can't help but talk about I love The Dark Knight by Christopher oh, Nolan. Of course. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. <laughs> I watch good. it many times a year. <laughs> uh, it's just, I, I saw it 14 times in theaters, okay? okay it was wow. just one of the movies. Okay, like, you're not a superhero fan at all. <laughs> well, I'm actually not a big superhero, but that movie, like, because that movie was more than just about Batman, but like, it was yeah. one of the things I love about Christopher Nolan in general, because I think he's one of these filmmakers who's actually searching for meaning. Absolutely. But at the end of Dark Knight is when Batman offers himself up as the sacrifice. And a lot of people said, wow, that, that seemed cheap or, or whatever. I'm like, no, no, that's the whole point. Batman's trying to be this transcendental figure and he can't be. We cannot create our own transcendence. And that's the whole point of the, yeah. that's part of the mo- point of the film is this Nolan is all, or is this, at the end of Interstellar, the same thing. He always fails at the transcendence because he's, mm-hmm. I think in some ways he's searching for it, but also trying to see where can I find it within the created order that doesn't point towards God and it always breaks yeah, apart. Yeah, that's but what actually, happened in Interstellar. That's such yeah, a good point. Exactly. Yeah. But, but I actually think that's what makes his movie so good because that right there sums up in yeah. story form our human experience right now. And I think that's right. why people love his movies so much. Yeah. They speak to what we feel right now. And, and, and I think that's why that's so important. And it's worth like paying attention to that and listening to that. Yeah. Yeah. Because if people are finding, like, why are people, like, that's what I think. It's like, a thirst there. It's, it's a, a thirst, thirst exactly. There. Yeah. But then so people aren't it. finding it. Like, wh- they can't, exactly. they don't have yeah. the system for yeah. it or the. the created then, symbols break. Yeah. yeah. They always break. And that secular humanist view is about that we can transcend ourselves and with our own powers and abilities, mm-hmm. but that's, it doesn't work. Exactly. <laughs> we can't and then, do it. And I love that Nolan has the humility, if you will. To now, I don't know if it's done, that, yeah. I don't know if he does it intentionally or not, but he has the humility to recognize that in some way. Yeah. Yeah. Because he's never actually completely done that well. I have yeah. some friends who are not Nolan fans. If they hear this, they're going to, they're going to, they're not going to be happy. Because that's why I love about it. And I think that's what's so important about it. Or, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, sorry. We can go on forever talking about movies. We'll have to uh-huh. spread them yeah, out. Yeah. Honestly, I feel. Them out. <laughs> I got to spread I'm them just out. Like, <laughs> I could, I could be talking about this for forever, but we're actually at time. time. And, okay. But I think this is just a sign of the richness that is here in this topic. And like, there's so much to talk about. I'm really excited mm-hmm. about this season and how all the other topics that we're going to delve into. And I'm really thankful. Actually, I 
I did not predict that we were going to talk so much about movies, but of course we are because Sister Nancy is here. So that's awesome, too. This is going to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, we're going to have really fun conversations. So good. I just want to thank both this. of you for agreeing to do this with us mm-hmm. and um, for coming on the show. And I'm right. looking forward to seeing you all next time. And I, uh, to end the show today, I was hoping that Father Harrison could just lead us in a renewal of our baptismal promises. And I encourage everyone who's listening to renew your baptismal promise by responding to uh, the questions that Father Harrison is going to read out with, I do. All right. So we in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Do you reject Satan? I, I do. do. And all his works? I, I do. do. And all his empty show. I do. I do. Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth? I, I do. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was born of the Virgin Mary, was crucified, died, and was buried, rose from the dead, and is now seated at the right hand of the Father? I, I do. Do you believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting? I, I do. God, the all-powerful Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has given us a new birth by water and the Holy Spirit and forgiven all our sins. May he also keep us faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We hope you join us for the next episode, which will be delving deeper into the sacramental worldview with Father Harrison and Sister Nancy. Thanks a lot. God God bless you. you. Thank you so much for listening. This podcast is a fruit of the Daughters Project. This initiative of the Daughters of St. Paul to spread the gospel online is made possible by our generous Patreon supporters. Consider joining us in our mission by contributing to Patreon today. You can find us at thedaughtersproject.com and on social media at Daughter St. Paul. God bless you.